Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. These are God's words. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. So we're still, uh, we're coming off of verse 5 in which uh, Paul had tied the plan of God to uh, redeem for himself uh, the elect was promised within God before time began. It has been accomplished by Christ and it's being proclaimed in uh, preaching and teaching uh, in which God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is uh, preached and taught as God, our Savior. And Jesus Christ sustains both preacher and hearer by his grace and his mercy and his peace. Uh, and so uh, he's the one who commands apostles. He's the one who commands Paul. He's the one who commands Titus. He's the one who commands the elders that Titus is to appoint in every city. And you see immediately uh, that elder, although it comes from a word that means uh, older people, uh, does not mean in this context older people because these are ones who are appointed. They don't get there by reaching a certain age. Uh, and so the grounds upon which a man would be appointed an elder uh, or the qualifications that a man must have in order to be appointed elder, uh, are given in verses 6 through 9, uh, which we take half this week and, uh, Lord willing, half next week. Uh, but you see uh, what the man is like in his home in verse 6, because he needs to be that in the household of God. Verse 7, he's not just an elder, but he's an overseer in God's house. So he's an under God overseer, uh, as we'll get to in verse 7. Uh, but then this uh, helps us in verse 6 to think about how to apply. We're not just given instructions here for studying the men of the church in case uh, there ever uh, is an occasion in which elders are to be uh, appointed that we would be able to recognize the ones that God has called, true, that is an application. It's actually, it's a rare application because you're not always appointing elders in the church. Uh, it is an application for how all elders are to be. Uh, but uh, we're, notice in verse 6, uh, we're talking about how all men ought to be. If men are not being like this, then there will be no elders. And when an elder is like this, he's showing uh, what every husband must be, what every father must be, what every man uh, must be. So here is something uh, for the boys, especially the men, uh, to aspire to. It's also something that's uh, helpful uh, for the young ladies. Many of these qualifications are going to be, uh, and old ladies, uh, many of these uh, qualifications are going to be character qualities that apply to all believers, and even when they don't, uh, necessarily apply to all believers when they're specific to men, specific to husbands, specific to fathers. 
there's still instruction for considering what a man ought to be. We have instruction here uh, that uh, all men should aspire to and what boys are working on growing up into. If you're not uh, working on growing up into the things in uh, verse 7, you will not become the husband and father that you ought to be. Uh, in verse 6, uh, you'll not suddenly become these things. You know, there's not a moment that you become a man uh, despite, you know, people's... There's a way of thinking that is becoming popular in some of our circles that there need to be these rites of passage where you could say, now you're a man. Uh, you should seek to be uh, uh, growing into being a man uh, from your early boyhood. Um, so what must this man be? Well, the first thing he must be is he must be blameless. In other words, there's no ungodliness uh, in his manner or in his conduct that gives accusers something to latch onto. And if someone accuses him uh, of ungodliness, those who know him particularly, the, those who are involved in the rest of verse 6, uh, they are, uh, they would know that such an accusation is wrong. Uh, he's not the sort of man who someone accuses him of ungodliness and his wife and children have to hold their tongue because they know that it's even worse than he's been accused of. Uh, he's someone who, uh, if he's accused of ungodliness, uh, his wife and children would know in their, heart, in their hearts that uh, that's uh, just not true about him. Even more than that, uh, God would know this about him. God speaks this way uh, about uh, Job, for instance, uh, and others. But Job is an example. He's not sinless. He knows he's not sinless. Uh, throughout the book, when his uh, friends accuse him uh, of uh, claiming to be sinless, he makes a distinction, and he often cries out to God that if God deals with him according to what he deserves, he would perish, that uh, his hope is in grace. But he is blameless, and a man ought to be blameless. He must be blameless if he's going to be appointed an elder. He has a deservedly high reputation of character, in other words. Uh, this is, he is blameless in his conduct in the home, verse 6. He is blameless in the things that he isn't, um, the bad qualities that he doesn't have, verse 7. He's blameless in the qualities that he must have, verse 8, and he's blameless in his doctrine, verse 9. Bad theology is immoral. It is actually the most immoral thing. It's wrong thinking about God. It's not like there's theology and morality that are two different things. And so he has to be blameless uh, in, uh, in all three of those. But what he is and what he is in, in his theology. Second thing we see is that he is a man of one woman. This means he has to be a man. That's That should be obvious. We live in sad days when that's not obvious. He's a man of one woman. He is committed to marriage generally being between one man and one woman and to his own marriage being one man and one woman. Uh, he is faithful in his own marriage. He honors others' marriages. Uh, 
and teaches people to do the same. It is important to him that the marriage bed be highly regarded and kept pure. Uh, many, this is one of the uh, the applications that Hebrews 13 makes generally to the church before saying uh, in verse 7 that they are uh, to submit themselves to those who rule over them who have spoken the word to them. Um, the outcome of whose faith uh, they know and would follow. Well, part of the outcome of that faith uh, is that uh, purity in marriage uh, in all marriages, and particularly his own, uh, is important to him. And so there's a strong connection there between the elder um, in uh, Hebrews 13, verse 7. Uh, he's also to have faithful children. You remember in First Timothy 3, which we're going through again in uh, the Sabbath school, that the, uh, the children submit, uh, and they submit with all reverence, they're happy to submit. Uh, joyful, joyous, holy uh, submission. In this case, uh, they are children uh, who share the faith of their father. Uh, those who know them do not categorize them as unsaved. The word that's translated, uh, dissipation here, and... Um, and the New King James actually gives a footnote with a couple more suggestions, uh, de uh, debauchery or incorrigibility. Uh, literally, it's, uh, it's unsaved. They're not categorized as unsaved or ungovernable. The, uh, the reason I'm using the word categorized uh, is because uh, that's a, a fairly literal translation of the word accused here. So you, uh, there are children who uh, act like believers. They don't just uh, they don't just share the faith, the profession of their father, their father's faith. They are acting more and more according to uh, the faith. Uh, so they're not categorized as unsaved or ungovernable. Uh, this uh, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. They uh, don't just have a father who knows how to lead. Uh, they display themselves as children who know how to be led. Uh, all of this means that their father is a man of grace and that the Lord has blessed his employing the means of grace with his children. Uh, first to bring them to faith and then to grow them in faith. It's a very controversial verse, sadly, in our days, because there are many uh, who are uh, ordained to the eldership and even the ministry uh, who, whose children do not share the faith of their father, neither in profession or perhaps only in profession, but not in life. But these are the Lord's qualifications the Lord is doing the work in the Lord's church by the Lord's grace. That's the entire context in, uh, in which uh, this is set. So those are, even um, even before you get to specific characteristics, a man of deservedly high reputation, 
husband of one wife committed in his marriage uh, and having faithful children uh, in, in verse 6. Well then, this is because the bishop must have that deservedly high reputation. Verse 7, of course, um, was tied to verse 6, but you see the first characteristic in verse 7, saying that this is not something just that gets you in. This is something that the ruler must continue to be. Uh, and so the uh, the grounds for appointing uh, in verse 6's explanation of the end of verse 5 there um, are not just grounds for appointing. They are, they describe the necessary ongoing conduct of the one who is an overseer. Well, what does he oversee? He oversees God's house. Uh, uh, the word steward means someone who enforces the laws of the house or the order uh, of the house, someone who governs the orderliness of the house. But it's not his house. This word is used especially for someone who is employing someone else's rule and someone else's instructions. The one who is an administrator over a house. So uh, he must be a steward of God. This means that he knows the church is not his house. It's God's house. He's not trying to enforce his way. He teaches and leads in God's way. He's not coming up with his ideas for the church. Uh, he's studying the Lord's ideas for the church and carrying them out. He knows that his position is not one of creativity. You know, there's wisdom and skill, um, but that which he does is given to him by the one to whom the house belongs. It's one of the reasons why... Um, you know, if someone asks about a church uh, that they're going to visit or, God forbid, that they're moving and are wondering if it's a good church to uh, uh, for them to join if they move, and there's a pastor of vision on the staff. God has given us a pastor of vision. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. The ruler, the elder, the overseer, the minister, the pastor, they are all there to... Uh, carry out someone else's vision. They are a steward of the house of God. And so there's humility under God. There's carefulness uh, that he would know uh, exactly what the, the Lord says to do. There's diligence uh, in being prompt uh, and endurance and continuing with it. There's zeal, uh, love for God, not, uh, not a... Uh, a steward superficially, but from the heart, responsibility, accountability, service, treasuring that which belongs to God at somebody else's house, taking care of it, all of those things. It is especially indicative of a man who has this quality when he believes that his household is also God's and not his own. Now, there's more that uh, a household does than a church does but uh, still he considers himself a steward there for the making james says uh, not self-willed it's very literally not self-pleasing does not live to please himself he lives to please another that which is true of his that which is true of his conduct uh, in the church or his view of his role in the church uh, should apply to his own life he views himself as God's man, 
And he views his life as a stewardship. He's not pleasing himself. He's pleasing God. He is obsessed with Christ, with serving Christ, pleasing Christ. And he's teaching his family, of course, you bring verse 6 in, to do the same, that you would not consider yourself your own, but Christ's own. This is why we rejoice with the dozens of times that the New Testament says it, to call ourselves bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ, not living to please ourselves, living to please him. He's not quick-tempered. Uh, this is someone in whom the heat of anger does not appear easily, and it does not rise quickly. It's a man, you know, when anger appears easily or rises quickly, uh, that shows a man his instability comes from trusting himself rather than trusting the Lord. And so things can go haywire quite uh, quite quickly, and so he responds with anger, or pleasing himself rather than pleasing the Lord. So he's very quick to be offended on behalf of things not going his own way or according to his own desires or or demands. But someone whose trust is in the Lord and whose pleasure is in the Lord doesn't mean they're never angry, but it means it doesn't rise from a passion, uh, but that it comes from a steady reasoned commitment to the Lord himself. His anger will be more like the Lord Jesus's. Great indignations against those things that offend against God's worship, God's glory, and of course God's law as well. Not given to wine. He's not alongside wine or attended uh, by wine. Doesn't live for his own impulses. He's not ruled uh, by desires for other, other things. Not violent. He's not a man uh, who brute forces things. He probably recognized these as things we heard about in um, uh, Sabbath school on the Lord's Day from First Timothy 3. They are the same words that we saw there. So he's not a bully who manipulates situations um, to force uh, to force his way. He doesn't, he's not the sort of guy who thinks uh, the best thing for everyone is for him to be in charge. Uh, such a man desires to be an overseer, uh, but the church should avoid having uh, someone whose opinion uh, of every situation is, uh, we just need to do what I say. Uh, and the same word again, uh, as in First Timothy 3, the end of verse 7, uh, where it says, not greedy for money, so not uh, not given to shameful gain, not someone who is always looking to gain for himself. Yes, it can be money, but it can also be influence or uh, others' esteem or uh, relationships. Or uh, He's always self-interested, and whatever will advance him, he's not ashamed of doing so long as he gets advanced, so long as he gains. So to, to summarize uh, verse 7, he's not, he is a self-forgetful man, not a Christ-forgetful man. This is what all of us men uh, ought to be seeking by the Lord's grace, that we may be the sort of husband, the sort of father, whose ministry the Lord blesses in the home. Uh, and then if 
the Lord is pleased for the good of his church uh, to also give us such a ministry uh, in his congregation. Uh, and I'm sure the young ladies can see how important it is that their future husband would be such a man. Uh, and many of these things, of course, that they themselves would have in their own character. Let's pray, pray that the Lord would give it to us. Our Father in heaven, on the one hand, for us, it's very convicting to read of what a man ought to be. And immediately, O oh Lord, we're amazed by your patience with us. And we thank you for your long suffering and your forgiveness. But we thank you also that when we read about what a man ought to be, we know that this is what Christ is and has been uh, in our place. And so we rejoice over you, Lord Jesus, of your righteousness. And we thank you also that this is uh, certainly what we shall be when you are done with us. And so we especially now look to you for the work of your Spirit in us, that we would be a self-forgetful people who live as belonging to you and for your pleasure, and uh, not to indulge ourselves, especially not to be uh, controlled by uh, any addiction. Give us to be controlled by your Spirit. Uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.